This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Yesterday was a difficult day as we helped a family in Christ remember their 18-year-old son who's now in eternity. We watched and listened as a mother stood in this very spot and explained how God had sustained her. I have to admit that when she got up to come here and speak, I doubted whether she could do it. Shame on me. But she declared how God had sustained her, though she and her husband have experienced possibly the worst anguish they'll ever know. She stood here, helpless to understand what had happened, but as a child of the king, she wasn't helpless. Though they've lacked wisdom and understanding, and we would all struggle with that, the miracles are clinging to the one who alone is omniscient. He knows, he cares, he is in control. What I could not share yesterday in my remarks is the fact that this is the very theme of where God has us this morning in the book of Job. And I just continue to marvel at what the good shepherd does for his flock, preparing us for what's ahead. His wisdom infinitely knows. You and I don't know. But he knows. And he carefully takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts and our lives so we have the light that we need for the journey. I believe this morning God wants us to learn from Job that we don't have to understand all he is doing. Aren't you glad? Your mind, my brain, couldn't handle that. He doesn't expect us to understand. What we need is the wisdom to simply follow and obey God because he is all wise and he understands what he's doing. God has never had a second thought. He's never doubted himself. Now before we go into today's text, let me just encourage you, have pen and paper uh, ready. Uh, many times I'll just, on my phone, uh, I'll send an email to myself and I'll take sermon notes there. And then I'll zap it to myself and put it somewhere where I can go back and reference it later. But I really want to ask you to think the truths that we're going to see this morning may be critical to you in the days ahead. Certainly for all of us, they're needful. And so let's review where we've been in the book of Job. Job has endured two assaults, direct assaults by Satan. He loses everything but his life and his wife. Now he's enduring days of accusation from three so-called friends. I think they meant well. But Satan continues to work on Job, against Job, through these guys. 
And so let's review Job's first defense. We saw this in chapter 7. It was twofold. Job tries to manage, handle this tri these trials by thinking this, I am insignificant and should be left alone. And we noted in that message, that's faulty reasoning because in God's eyes we are not insignificant and nowhere does God say we're going to be left alone. Faulty reasoning. We can wish that, but that's not how God said life works for his children. His second defense from various texts in Job, this really is the, the theme of the three friends and what they're saying to Job. You have sinned and you're being judged for that sin. But Job's defense is this, I am righteous and not suffering for my sin. That was true reasoning. If not in our hearts condemns us as we look to the word of God and as we look to our Father in heaven, then we shouldn't allow anything else to condemn us. We all know that we're fallen. We all sin, but we can be righteous before God. And so Job clung to that. Now in a few weeks we'll look at his third defense. It's in chapter 29. And here's what he thinks. I was blessed for righteous living in the past and should have similar blessing now. And we're going to look at that. Clearly Job was blessed in his past. But should he expect that same blessing now? What do you think? Yes or no? There's no guarantee of that. So that too is faulty reasoning. And sometimes that throws a Christian off so much that they just quit. I'm living a righteous life. I've had blessing for that in the past. What is this? I'm done. And spiritually they walk off the job. And so that's Job's third defense. We'll be looking at that. But for this message, I want you to join me, please. I invite you to Job chapter 28. This is one of those remarkable chapters in the Bible and especially in this book. Have you ever wondered why Job, probably the oldest book in the Bible, has been included in the poetry wisdom section of your Bible? Have you ever wondered that? I don't see any poetry here. I see a lot of things that are being said that aren't wise. Why is it included here? Well, Job 28, along with one other chapter that I have been able to see, uh, probably more than any other in this book, helps answer the question. This chapter and others are given in a poetic structure. Now, as you read through it, you might not see that structure, and so I want to give it to you this morning and that will be the outline for the message because that's the, the inspired outline that God places in chapter 28. But this chapter also has wisdom as its main theme. Therefore, this book does belong in the poetry uh, and wisdom section of our Bible. Now because Job 28 is structured like a poem, and as one commentator said, is a calm mediation compared with Job's hot words. Those have just ended. They're going to start again in chapter 29. But it is quite possible that the human biblical writer, we'll have to wait to heaven to see who that is, 
but that the human biblical writer, the holy man of God that was used here to give us this scripture, okay, the mind of God through this human writer, that he gives us a break from the debate between Job and his friends. And if you sat down and just read from one, the start of Job to the end, at this point you would need a break. It'll wear you out. Guys, leave him alone and Job isn't going to back down and, and you feel like you need uh, to go into the kitchen and get an ice water at some point here, right? But God, in his word, takes a break in the debate and he inserts his own wisdom poem as an apex. And I love this. In fact, if you look at how the book is structured, the debates and the rebuttals between Job and his friends, half of them happen on one side of chapter 28, the other half happen on the other side of chapter 28, and then God speaks. I love that about this book. So, so the Holy Spirit knew at this point we needed a break. We needed to hear from God, and so he speaks by inspiration through the human writer to help us. Now, if this is the case, as I believe, then God is giving us chapter 28 as an important and inspired reprieve. Now, this is a play on words. Uh, it's a, an inspired reprieve, but you know, in your life, when you face severe testing, you're going to need a divine-inspired reprieve too. And if you'll just let this grip your mind, if that happens, you need to go to Job 28. I loved yesterday in the service that a passage that God has used and that mother's heart is 1 Peter chapter 1. And we read that whole chapter. What another great chapter. But the same themes are in both places. Chapter 28 is not the climax of the book. That comes at the end when God speaks directly to Job. But this chapter gives the primary theme of the book, which is reinforced by God at the end of the book. So again, we need the wisdom to follow and obey God because, not that we agree or we understand, but because God is all wise and understands what he is doing and it's good. So when the storms of life are about to blow you over, what's the key? God, I need you to explain this. No. Here's the key. God, I submit to your perfect will. You understand what you're doing. And I'm hanging on. Now from the, this inspired reprieve, chapter 28, we learn about our divine reprieve when it comes to suffering. We need to trust God's infinite wisdom. No one will ever stand before God in heaven. And God will have to admit, yeah, that was a little bumpy. I, I almost lost my grip on that one. Oh, no. No. He can't. 
And so I've entitled the message this morning, An Inspired or a Divine Reprieve. Now I'll give you the structure, and then we'll read the chapter together. And I'm going to do it with very little comment. You'll see the structure up on the uh, slide here, and this is going to be uh, what we go through today. Let me just um, run through it quickly. There's an introduction here in this poetry. It shows us the source of earthly treasure. And then there are three stanzas to this poem. And, and you learned in school, not all poetry has to rhyme, right? My English brethren. Okay, doesn't all have to rhyme. Uh, but the first stanza is the finding of earthly treasure. It helps us consider how men find earthly treasure. Then there's a refrain or, or a response. We can dig deep in the earth and find earthly treasure, but wisdom is elusive. In fact... We're never told that Job was ever told what really happened to him when everything came apart in his life. We're not told that Job ever knew. Wisdom is elusive. Second stanza, the treasure of wisdom is far greater than earthly treasure. Obviously, that's the theme of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But the treasure of wisdom is far greater Again, the response, the refrain, wisdom is elusive. Third stanza, God's understanding is wisdom. God's understanding is wisdom. And so the conclusion is man finds needed wisdom by listening to God who is its source. I remember as a child, my dad would say something that didn't make any sense to me. And he didn't bother to explain it to me. And now I understand as a dad, because if he had, I still wouldn't have gotten it. But he'd take me by the hand and say, let's go. And I made it safely through. Not because I had an explanation that satisfied me, but because my wise father knew where we were going. What wonderful truth for our lives. And so you're in chapter 28. Let's take this outline now and work through it. Here's the introduction, the source of earthly treasure. Verse 28, chapter 28, verse 1. Surely there is a vein, that's the word for a mine, okay? For the silver and a place for gold where they, and the word there means where they refine it. Iron, verse 2, is taken out of the earth, and brass is molten, it's smelted out of the stone. So they dig it out in a mine, they take it out of the stone, they throw it in a real hot fire, and out comes the precious metal. Now here's the first stanza, the finding of earthly treasure. Verse 3, he sets an end to darkness, or he, the miner, the man looking for the treasure, puts an end to it by bringing light into his mining. There's darkness. There are dark places under your feet. There may be precious treasure under your feet. You'll never know it's there until... you start digging. 
All right? This is not to keep people awake in this sermon. <laughs> but I hope it helps. All right. But a lot of work goes into, and they have scientific ways of saying, you know, there's gold in the side of that hill or wherever. And so they get out their heavy equipment. But back in Job's day, they got out this equipment. And they went to work and they channeled deep into the side of a hill or into the ground into, this is what Job is taught, the book is talking about, dark places. But in order to see their work in those places, they had to take light in there. And so with that light, a lantern or, or whatever they were using, a torch, they would dig away and they would find veins of ore and precious metal often precious stones in those caves, in those places where they were mining. So he sets an end to darkness. He makes it a light place. Read on, the stones, and that's the word for iron ore. All right, the precious metals. The stones in the darkness, in the shadow of death. Uh, they're... Uh, Darkness and the shadow of death, that's a reference to the dangers of deep mining. We all know it's, it's not safe. And even today with all the technology, there still are caves in, cave-ins. There are, there are men that are tra trapped in those mines. When I visited the Noros a few years ago uh, up in Stewart, British Columbia, they know all about uh, the, the cave-ins up there and miners that, that they never have found in some of those places. So when you mine, you run into water. Hence, verse 4, the flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. Even the water's forgotten of the foot. They are dried up. They are gone away from men. So in their, in their mining, they seek to divert water in those places where they're seeking for treasure. Uh, and it becomes a dry place. Verse 5, as for the earth, out of it cometh uh, bread. That's the surface of the fields. And under or below the surface, it is turned up as it were fire. So the idea is, if you have a fire going, you stir those coals, and what does it do? It just continues to consume. And that's the picture used of someone mining. They're stirring up. They're, they're going deeper uh, in, in that ground, in the earth. Verse 6, the stones of it are the place of sapphires and it hath dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps are not, uh, have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He puts forth his hand upon the rock, again the miner, and overturns the mountains by the roots. He cuts out rivers along the rocks, and his eye seeth uh, every precious thing. He binds the floods from overflowing. And the idea of damming up the waters uh, below so that he can mine. And the thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light. Walking out of that, that cavern uh, where they've been working and showing the precious treasure that's been found. Now what's the point? Well, man works hard and takes tremendous risks to mine and find earth's precious stones and metals. And by the way, if you're 
getting engaged and you're looking for a diamond, you need to thank God for those people that go and look for those things. All right? The Walmart guy doesn't deliver it in his truck, all right? I mean, he, he may, uh, but he's not the one that found it. A miner will burrow deep below Earth's surface, and what he has found there is of great value. But here's what's amazing. Men will work hard to find that treasure. They'll risk their lives and even die to find the treasure. Uh, the mother load. But what we're going to be reminded of is we need to seek God's wisdom with the same fervency. So here's the refrain, though, and the response. Wisdom is elusive, verse 12, but there, where shall wisdom be found? And where's the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof. He knows, uh, the Hebrew here is, no man knows its abode or where to find it. Neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, it is not in me, and the sea saith, it is not with me. Now let's pause for a moment and just clarify something. You and I can find God's wisdom in nature. Uh, we, we can learn math and science, and, and all that points to God, not to evolution or anything else. It points to God. That structure, uh, all that shows forth His greatness, right? The wisdom we're talking about is what you can't see, and what do you do when you don't know what's happening in your life? The richest of men and women can face things where all their treasure can't solve the problem. Right? So wisdom at a time like that is elusive. Now even as men mine in the deep and dangerous places of the earth, down there they can't find the treasure of wisdom and answers to life's greatest mysteries. They just can't. And so that brings us to the second stanza. Here it is, the treasure of wisdom is far greater than earthly treasure. An individual can gain the whole world, but lack the wisdom of knowing what is happening in his or her life. Look at verse 15. It, wisdom now from God, cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire, the gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels. Uh, that word jewels is not really the word uh, where we think of for precious stones. It actually is a word in the Hebrew that means vessels or containers of fine gold. It, it's, it's nice to have a piece of gold, but wouldn't you rather have a whole bucket load of gold? Okay, that's, that's the idea here. And yet, you can have buckets of gold and it cannot pay for God's wisdom. By the way, this is why back in the day when a certain denomination, a false church, was selling indulgences to get God's favor, your riches won't help. At the same time, they had chained Bibles to pulpits so you couldn't get to the true wisdom. 
No wonder they called it the Dark Ages, right? All right, so you can't pay for it. The earthly treasure mentioned in this second stanza is great indeed. However, again, the refrain, response, wisdom is elusive. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? See it, seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard the fame or the report thereof with our ears. Now, what is that talking about? Would you agree with me that the older we get, the wiser we get? Not a trick question. The, an the answer is yes. Older but wiser. Okay, in fact, um, I wish that God gave me everything that I know now about parenting when I started parenting. Amen? I knew about as little about it as the kids I was trying to help. Except for the wisdom found here. Alright? So, this is referring to, when you get older, yes, you do, do learn a lot more. You learn what life is, what really is important, or you should. Even those who come to death at the end of their lives, though, only have a report and limited understanding about God's true wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man who walked on earth apart from Jesus. Yet his wisdom was far uh, from or I'm sorry, his wisdom was from God. We know that's where he got his wisdom. When he sought God, but when he walked away from God, he tells us in Ecclesiastes that even his search for wisdom was futile. So keep Solomon in mind because we'll come back to his conclusion about life and wisdom. Now this brings us to the third stanza. You can see it again in the structure I've given you. The third stanza, God's understanding is wisdom. His understanding is wisdom. Verse 23, God understands the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. How does he know that? He's God. How has he demonstrated it? Here's a simple answer. Creation. Why has evolution be, been so promoted in this world? Because Satan knows the way to God, the evidence of that is creation. If I can get people to believe in a bang, they won't, they won't believe in the creator. But the fact is, God created it all in its minute magnificence. It still boggles my mind that every snowflake that creates the drifts and the bad roads, every snowflake is different. There aren't two of them alike. You try that. Verse 24, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven. All that down there that men mine for, God knows everything underneath your feet to the very core of this earth. So look around. What can you see? Go ahead, look around. I see you. You see me. I don't understand what I see. 
Well, I do. I love what I see. And you're sitting there saying, I'm listening to your message, Pastor, and I'm with you. I don't understand what I'm hearing. No, we are so limited, right? Uh, your children come to you with something that's broken. Daddy, can you fix it? YouTube, help. We're so limited. Verse 25, but to God, he makes the weight for the winds and he weighs the waters by measure. So let's, I brought another instrument to help us today. All right. Miss Armstrong, would you, would you come help me? Yes, please. Thank you. I have a task for you today. I have heard that you're good at math. You're good at math? Oh, well, I'm supposed to say yes. You got people watching. Okay, all right. The task is this. I want you to take this bucket. We're close to the Atlantic Ocean, and if you would help us know how many gallons are out there in that big pond. We'll give you the... No? Okay, I'll make it easier. Just do the Chesapeake Bay. Okay? And report back in. You can ask your dad to help you if you think it'll help. Okay. Now, she's saying, Pastor, really. And we all know that I'm having fun with her and that none of us could do that. Are you having fun up here? No, you're not. I'll take my bucket back. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Do you know that God knows the answer to how many gallons are out there in the Atlantic? And the Chesapeake. In fact, he knows all that's going on in that ocean. In fact, he controls it by the word of his power. He holds it all together. We experience flooding, but if he let off his control, we'd really know flooding. But he keeps it all in its place and he knows all about it. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of you are making it far easier for him to know how many hairs are on your head. But he knows that too. That's our God. So God understand, God's understanding is wisdom. Your negative circumstances, do you think you can trust the God who holds not just the oceans, but the entire universe together by the word of his part. Can you trust him? And oh, by the way, he has never failed in anything. He's not going to fail you. So the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day and night, the psalmist goes on to say, declare it. And so what is the point? Here's, here's where we're done. Look at the conclusion. Verse 28, man finds needed wisdom by listening to God who is the source. I don't have to know everything that God knows and I don't have to know everything. I can't. This brain couldn't handle it. But I know enough from God to trust him who knows all things. So what's he say? Verse 28, And unto man he, God, said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. All right, what's the fear of the Lord? 
reverencing him, giving him his exalted place in your life. And reverencing him to the point where you will approach him to submit to his gracious will. Now, notice, that is wisdom. I'm so glad that wisdom isn't defined by the grades on a report card, young people. I don't even want to think about my report cards. I had to kill myself for a C. My brother could look at a book, go play, go to sleep, and get an A on a test. That still bugs me. But that's not wisdom. You say, I just struggle with, with these classes in school. And, and, and I, wait a minute, you can have wisdom. You can have the wisdom. How? Fear God. Just reverence Him. The word is in that statement, that phrase makes this emphatic. You and I know so little about this world, our own lives and our circumstances, but if we fear the Lord, we have all needed wisdom. That's what the text is saying. Isn't that great? So when a child takes his own life, when an adult child runs from the Lord into destructive behavior, when a doctor predicts a loved one only has a few months to live, when your spouse decides they don't want to stay married to you anymore, if you'll approach God with reverence and submit to him in faith, you have all needed wisdom from the source of all wisdom. Say, but it doesn't feel good. God didn't say it was going to feel good. Here's what he did promise you in those circumstances. If you'll cling to him and fear the Lord, he'll give you peace. In fact, it's peace that passes understanding. This doesn't make any sense. It's okay, I'll take the peace. Because the trying of our faith, which is just for a moment, even God has put the boundaries on that. It works in us a far more exceeding weight of glory. What is that? That's eternal treasure. Excuse me, eternal treasure. But the verse doesn't end here. Approaching God, reverencing Him, and truly submitting to His will requires obedience. So notice the end of verse 28. And to depart from evil is understanding. Oh, is that good? You know what God is saying? Child, just obey me. Just obey me. You don't have to reason about whether what I'm saying is reasonable. Just obey me. Again, we're limited even when God has printed his wisdom for us in Scripture. Aren't you thankful you have this book? By the way, we don't consult it enough. We don't. We need to hide God's word in our heart, but... I don't know that we've all hidden all of God's word in our heart, but the point is, just like it takes work to mine for treasure, when you start feeling the headwinds and when things start going sideways in your life, stop, take time to get alone with God in your Bible. He does have the answer. In fact, all things pertaining to life and godliness but we have to discipline ourselves to stop. If you keep going, it means you're trusting your wisdom. Please don't. 
Stop and consult his wisdom and don't leave his presence until you have his mind. Because that's what you need. But we're limited. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So that shouldn't be our focus. I need to figure out what God's doing. No, you don't. You can't. Always. Sometimes he shows it graciously. That's not the point. The point is fear God and obey him. I mentioned Solomon earlier. So when Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, in his wisdom, he pursued all the treasure on earth. He applied his wisdom to build things, pursue things, do things. And here's what he said. It's emptiness. So what did he come to as a conclusion? The same conclusion in Job 28. Here's what Solomon said. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Do you see the parallels? This is the whole duty of man. In your King James Bible, duty is italicized. You know what that verse is saying? For this is the whole of man. That's our life. I can't see around the next corner when I'm driving around Chesapeake. God does. What I can see and what I must embrace is the fact that he's all wise and the best for wisdom, but all I need to do is just fear God, reverence him, fear the Lord, and obey. And when we fear the Lord and seek his word to obey, it. By the way, it's a luxury Job didn't have. God spoke to him directly. You and I have God speaking to us directly, and I get to go back and read it in black and white and review it, pray over it. But we have all the wisdom we need. So truly, God's word will light our path, and his wisdom above all our circumstances will keep our way. I'm going to conclude this, the message this morning. In a way that's unusual, praise God for the word of Christ dwelling in our hymnody and in our spiritual songs. And I want to play for you this morning. I want you to listen. The words will be on the screen. A song entitled, My Faith Still Clings to Thee. Meditate on these words. Let's listen together. My sin is great, my strength is weak, my path beset with snares, but thou, O Christ, hast died for me, and thou wilt hear my prayers. To thee alone, the crucified, the sin. Turn from 
find thy love a sweet relief. Thou art the light of life. Temptations lure and fears assail my fair inconstant heart. But precious are thy promises, and they new strength share this burden with you. We have to get hold of this in a time when we have it so easy here. COVID, our other circumstances, a threat, difficult, yes. But really nothing like our brethren around the world are facing in places like Ukraine and Russia, and on the African continent. This truth is so important, we'll get hold of it with what we're facing now so we can remain fruitful because the time is coming, I believe if the Lord tarries, we will know full-blown persecution. If we don't get this now, we won't handle the persecution. If there are fears that keep you away from obeying God now, when someone is, someone is threatening your life, it's doubtful whether you're going to remain faithful. And so this truth, this divine inspired reprieve is how we find our reprieve in tough times. 
going to the one who fails not and whose wisdom is perfect. May God help us to yield. Father, thank you for this text. Lord, the treasures that we're able to mine out of a book like Job, it thrills us. It sustains us. And we give you praise. Now, Lord, work in this time as this service closes. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christian, can I just ask you this morning, is this how you function? None of us enjoy trials, testings. But is your spiritual discipline, your wisdom to go to the God of all wisdom, and just trust him. Or have you become bitter? You're going through the motions, but your heart's really not in it because you've had negative circumstances and, and you've convinced yourself you maybe can't really trust God all the way. How many would say to the Lord this morning, I acknowledge before you, my God, your wisdom and grace are all I need. And then say this to God. And Lord, by your grace, I'm going to trust your wisdom. How many would say that to God this morning? All right, hands all over this room. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's take a moment of silence now. And would you just talk to the Lord about whatever it is he has impressed on your heart today? Maybe there's someone here this morning and you have never trusted God's wisdom for eternal salvation. You think you have to work your way to heaven or you doubt whether Jesus is really the Savior today. You need to come to Christ and be saved. You're not going to figure out how to get to heaven. You've got to trust God who is the way. And in a moment, we're going to sing together a hymn. And if God has spoken to your heart, you're not sure you're saved. You're not sure you're on your way to heaven. I want to invite you to come. Our pastoral staff will be here at the front. Let them help you from the word of God to know you are saved today. The Lord wants to save you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.